this week on the Back Table Podcast. You know, women are, are used to going through that in their healthcare. Men, when they get to this age, just haven't had pap smears. They're not used to being poked and prodded. You know, men in general just aren't used to that. So probably doing it under local, that's the biggest issue. And that's why we give them sometimes the Valium just to kind of take the edge off because they're, you know, they're in a vulnerable position and they're not used to that. And so that's one of the sort of the arts of getting them through that is kind of trying to distract them. But once they're done with it, most of them kind of get up and go out the door. And I have yet, you know, fingers crossed, knock on wood, whatever you got to do. I have yet to hear really any significant side effects from them, even after radiation, as far as it relates to the Barragel. So they've done well. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Backtable Urology Podcast, your source for all things urology. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and at backtable.com. Now, a quick word from our sponsors. If you have patients undergoing radiation therapy for prostate cancer, Barrier Rectal Spacer can minimize potential radiation side effects. Barrier is the first and only hyaluronic acid sculptable rectal spacer that separates the rectum from the prostate to protect healthy tissue during radiation therapy treatment. And Barrigel is the only rectal spacer with proven reduction of grade 2 plus GI toxicity compared to control, leading to fewer side effects. In rectal spacing, control matters. Barrigel is highly visible on ultrasound and remains sculptable throughout the procedure so you can see the implant and control where you place it. Barrio's unique properties result in safe and symmetric placement that can be customized to the patient's anatomy. In the Barrio Pivotal Trial, published in JAMA Oncology, there were zero Barrio-related adverse events, zero periprocedural events, zero adverse events of rectal fullness, and zero patients' complaints of rectal pain or discomfort following the procedure. Barrigel is approved for use in the United States, Australia, and Europe, and is indicated for prostate cancer patients with T1, T3B disease. To learn more about Barrigel, visit barrigel.com. Now, back to the show. The Jose Ocha Silva is your host this week, so I'm happy to introduce our guest, Dr. Neil Mariados, and Dr. Daniel Walchens. Dr. Mariados is the principal author on both pivotal trials of SpaceOR and Barrigel, published in the peer review of the Red Journal in Radiation Oncology in 2016 and JAMA Oncology in 2023. He currently is a radiation oncologist at a cancer care of Western New York. He completed residency, internal medicine and radiation oncology at the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey and Upstate Medical Center of Syracuse, New York, respectively. He went on to complete a fellowship in stereotastic radiosurgery and brachytherapy at the University of Ottawa in Ottawa, Canada. Dr. Daniel Walchens obtained his medical degree from University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine. He completed his surgical internship at Brigham and Women Hospital in Boston and a urology residency from Harvard University. He is currently a urologist in New Hartford, New York. Gentlemen, welcome to the back table. Thank you, Jose. Thank you, Jose. Good to be here. Thanks for being here and taking your time to be here. So today we're going to talk about novel thing that is in the market, and that is rectal protection where the patient is having radiation, right? Right. Yes. 
So definitely we have two guests here that know a lot about this. Uh, I would like probably to talk about battery gel or different rectal devices, sorry. I would like to talk about your price. So how, how does it work? Are you getting referral from the radio call to do the procedure versus the opposite? So Dan, give us your, your take on how you're getting patients referred to you. You know, the most of the patients I see are patients referred by other urologists that have been already seen by radiation oncology and are being prepared to receive their radiation. It just so happens that the practice I'm in, there's 26 urologists and two radiation oncologists. Those radiation oncologists, as of right now, do not perform rectal spacing. So sort of they get set up for radiation with the radiation oncologist. And then the radiation oncologist essentially filters them to me or another urologist in the practice to place the gold markers and also place the rectal spacing with Baragel in this case. And Neil, so I mean, you've been doing this for a long, long time. Can you tell us about the evolution? How, how did it first start? Yes, you know, so I was uh, fortunate enough to be introduced to spacing back in 2014-15, where we were asked to participate in the space ore trial. At that time, it was with a company called Augmetics, and I met with the one of the scientists of Augmetics, who was also the owner. It was just an intriguing product because we, in radiation, because of the nature of how we deliver the treatment, the rectum is right against the prostate, and there was always an increase in... Um, rectal toxicity when giving radiation. And now with shortening the treatment schedules and increasing the dose, this problem becomes, you know, more acute and in the range of, you know, anywhere from 10 to 38%. So that was really intriguing to me. And so we started the trial with Space and we completed it and we uh, published it in the Red Journal. After that, the I was introduced to, to Baragel probably about a couple of years ago, and uh, we completed that trial. And Dan and I were partners at, you know, at that time, and it was great to work with, with him and the team in bringing that trial to completion and publication. So the, the main gist of, of using spacing is to decrease uh, rectal toxicity in, uh, in the management of you know, radiation patients. And Neil, now that the, I mean, the last couple of years, the radiation has been more precise, is there still need for pre-rectal spacing? You know, there is a need for rectal spacing, even when the techniques have become more precise, because of what I mentioned before, you know, we went from three-dimensional treatments where we were giving the treatments over 45 days, and then we went to IMRT, and the dose has increased because we've become more precise. And, you know, greater dose means greater local control and better outcomes. And now we've come to extreme uh, hypofractionation and hypofractionation where extreme is five days and the hypofractionated schedules are 28 days. So yes, even though the technique has improved, the prostate still remains very close to the rectum, you know, so if we can increase that space, we are also decreasing the high dose to the rectum and thereby decreasing the toxicity. And then uh, who is a candidate for spacing? Most of our patients, when we discuss the risk factors associated with radiation, want to know what you do if there's problems with the rectum, what you do if there's problems with the bladder based on, you know, the radiation kind of sort of damaging those areas. And so most patients, I would say, that I counsel 
are candidates for a barrier gel spacing technique. The whole purpose of this spacing is really to limit the amount of side effects that are associated with their radiation therapy. And so there's not anyone that is necessarily going to be free or sort of going to be not at risk of having that radiation to the rectal wall. And so most of my patients, I do counsel on that. And I'm always pretty intrigued because when you when you talk to the patient, they get it pretty easily about what are the risks of radiation versus surgery. They understand that the radiation can go to areas where it shouldn't necessarily, or could there could be sort of very close areas between the rectum and the prostate where there could be side effects associated with dose to that rectum. And so all the patients that I counsel, almost all of them are highly in favor of it. And I think that they appreciate the option so that they can get through their cancer with the least amount of side effects. And we, we all know that with prostate cancer, that's, you know, the number one thing is getting rid of the cancer, but the number two, which is very close, is trying to get them through this with the least amount of side effects. And, and that's, you know, where surgery and radiation can really cause long lasting issues is, is those side effects. So any patient that might get some type of radiation might be a, a candy, is that right, Neil? Yeah, most patients or almost all of them are candidates for this spacing agent, except if we find on MRI that there is, you know, capsular extension, you know, that patient may, you know, we may think about that again. But in general, you know, almost all the patients are are candidates for the spacing. And Neil, I mean, you mentioned you were in the pivotal trial for both products that are out there. What is the difference between these two products? Can you get your, your opinion? <laughs> you know, I was like a, a with the first product, Space Ore, I saw a fair number of limitations and I did a wish list. And really, Barragel has almost got almost everything on my wish list. You know, I've used the product, you know, on trial and then commercially as well. The two products are different. You know, one is a hydrogel and the other is, you know, non-animal stabilized hyaluronic acid. The hydrogel needs a polymerization, whereas Barragel does not need the polymerization. What I find it is in that regard, just for this, you know, if we start from the beginning, this uh, setup, it's easy to use. And, you know, Dan can explain that as far as the setup, and I'll keep on going with my advantages uh, after that. Yeah, so I, I've i never used Space OAR, so I am not familiar, although, you know, I've read the literature on it, and I understand it's quite a few steps, and there's sort of a narrow window of time for you to deliver the product. For me, with Barragel, I think that the biggest surprise with me and my nursing staff is just how easy it's done in the office. So today we were talking about it. I did 10 of them. I saw patients in between each each Barragel or couple. And my nurse kind of gets the patient on the table, gets them in stirrups, and then just kind of calls me in. And, and there's some local on the table. There's three syringes with Barragel in it. And she kind of just talks to the patient, distracts them while I put the ultrasound probe in, put the gold markers in, numb everything up and put the Barragel in. And then I'm kind of in and out in six or seven minutes. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit longer, depending if there's any scar tissue or fibrosis, but you can kind of take your time. Most of the cases are, are fairly quick and, you know, it just, it's right there on the table for me. I'm in and out and, and that's it. And on to the next patient. 
Hey, Dan, let me ask you a question about anesthesia. So do you do a prostate block also? I mean, at that time, do you tra- transrectal or? Yeah, I mean, I do a transperineal approach. And Well, obviously, we're delivering in a transperineal approach. Usually, I just numb up the skin as sort of a fan technique with some lidocaine. And then I take a needle, a long needle, and I kind of infiltrate five cc's of lidocaine right at the levator muscle on each side. And then I go. I use about 20 cc's of local. Usually I've given them a healthy dose of Valium too, which makes, you know, some some funny comments and they're usually pretty relaxed during it also. You know, Dan, you know, really illustrates that very well. And Dan's excellent in a lot of areas, but he hasn't done any brachytherapy and he hasn't done any, you know, space OAR in the past. And he was able to pick this up very, very quickly. So in training other uh, urologists or radiation oncologists, I find that there's a very short learning curve. Dan also mentions, you know, that it's easy to set up and there's really just the needle to the syringe that contains the barogel. And with space OAR, you have about 15 steps with multiple handoffs to the assistant, making sure you have one eye on the syringe, not going further into the skin, one eye on the ultrasound, two hands on both syringes. And then you are forcing with two uh, hands a more viscous solution, keeping the needle stable within a very short allotted time of 10 seconds. So you can see where the problems, you know, start to, ex- you know, to, uh, bo- you know, bubble up. So, you know, one of the other things that I w- wanted to bring forward is the control. And because you have the simplicity of this product and you don't have to worry about polymerization, therefore you can control the product and get very symmetrical placement from base to apex and left lobe to right lobe. Dan has some amazing first seven patients that he did in an afternoon where he is, this is the initial one that he's done by himself, and he's got symmetric thickness throughout the entire, you know, prostate rectal interface. It's just amazing. So Dan, so how you started doing it? Well, I mean, I was lucky in that I had Neil in our practice, and I kind of remember when I first joined in 2015, they took me to Syracuse to kind of see what's going on. You know, I'm very nervous, my first kind of few weeks in practice, and Neil was was so always so gracious to me. I remember him running around in the, the surgery center part of the Syracuse office, and he was in there doing this space OAR thing. And I was like, what is this? And I kind of remember people whispering about that Neil was doing this big national trial and he's doing this space or stuff. I remember thinking like, oh, this is like a cool group I'm a part of. Like Neil is doing this big national trial. And so through that, Neil, of course, was probably known for that and started this Barragel. And so he kind of got me into it and sort of talked to me about it and, and talked to me about the benefits for the patient you know, I said, you know, let's just give it a whirl. And I think I could do this. I mean, I've done a lot of transperineal biopsies, a lot of surgery. I mean, Jose, you know, if you've done a lot of those surgeries, you kind of, you have a feeling for the space down there, you know? And so it definitely was a little nerve wracking. The first few I did just because the needle can deflect in the transperineal space, which is a little strange. You almost have to have this image in your head, you know, your mind's eye has to know where things are going. And so we started doing it and it just went really well. And I said this before to Neil, you know, I'm kind of like a simple guy. It's a simple procedure and it's satisfying to do. I get good results. I get to see the patients back and they do well following their radiation. And, you know, it's just one of those things I like doing these little procedures that you can get a good, good outcome. I feel really good about it. It's good for the patient. They come back to me and they're doing well. And I feel good about getting the symmetry and being able to sculpt it just the way I want. And I don't know, it's kind of like my little thing. You know, I like it. That's great. That's great. 
You know, one of the things that Dan points out to is that he can sculpt it. And to sculpt it, you need to be able to visualize it. And with Space OAR, you cannot visualize the product over here because of the hypoechoic nature of the uh, Barrigel on the ultrasound. You can really see what you're doing. So you get real-time feedback, whereas in Space OAR, you don't see what you're doing. And then about two weeks later, the patient is now in the radiation department getting a CT scan. And that's the first time that you can actually see what was the urologist did. And at that time, because you know the patient is now further downstream as far as the planning process, it is very hard to give the urologist any feedback now saying, hey, you know what, this is completely asymmetric. And in the study, in the space OAR study, and also in other analysis off the distribution, about only 50% of the space or patients had, you know, symmetric distribution. So because of that visualization, Dan and, you know, other operators are able to get real-time feedback and get a very, very good, you know, spacing. And Neil, were you doing them also in the office? Yes. You know, we uh, first uh, did it with MAC anesthesia. And then when we um, got more comfortable, you know, we started doing, um, you know, the local blocks, which Dan is doing now as well. Are tricks that you can share with the audience? Yeah, so our, to standardize it, I used to just give uh, 10 milligrams of Valium, you know, it's like them having a couple of martinis before they come in. And then my one of my partners in Syracuse, Dr. Ruotina, was also giving some oxycodone. And so now to standardize it, my patients, if they want to, some of them don't want to take oxycodone, but they get 10 milligrams of Valium, five of oxycodone before they come in. I haven't yet to not get through one of these. Obviously, if someone has some rectal stenosis or really has some discomfort, it can be a little bit challenging. But, you know, I think I've done close to 70 now and I've done them all under local and haven't had a problem with that formula. As long as you, I found, Jose, the biggest thing was getting that block right where the levator muscles are. That seems to make it easy to get the gold markers in because, to be honest, it's not the bear gel that's uncomfortable. A lot of times it's those gold markers, the fiducial markers going in that tend to get them, uh, you know, bucking a little bit off the table. And you're doing the biopsies also transperineal in the office, same setup, more or less? So in my particular office, it's kind of a hub and spoke model where we have our main office in Syracuse and we do pretty much all MR fusion type biopsies there. I do not have an MR fusion bi biopsy machine here, an Artemis machine. So almost all of my biopsies go for MR fusion in Syracuse with one of my partners where we have two or three doctors that that's a big part of what they do, just the biopsies. And so I would say as at this point, probably there's still more transrectal biopsies going on than transperineal, although we're seeing, you know, obviously a trend towards transperineal just with the benefits and the reduced rate of infection. But that's what I see going on now. So yeah, definitely at the AUA, that's transperineal is the way to go. I'm still doing transrectal. Just I was using Uranav. Now they switched to Navigo. Same thing, MRI fusion. The space ORs that I have done, I've been doing in the, in the OR. I still don't have the setup to do it in the office. But yeah, basically that's it. In terms of how long does it last, Neil? That's a very important point about stability of the product. With space OAR, uh, the product is fairly stable for about three to six months, and then it, you really start to lose the space. 
whereas with Barrigel, it is fairly stable for about a year. Now, you know, this has a lot of implications because, you know, sometimes the patients have personal things that come up or medical issues that come up that may delay their treatment. And now, you know, we're doing genetic testing on patients, uh, which may show that, you know, there's a more aggressive cancer and we may want to add hormones to it. And that may delay the start of patients. And so if you've got this space OAR, you have a very limited time crunch before you have to start the patient. Whereas Barrigel, we can really say, okay, you know, you need some hormones. Okay, go ahead and take your hormones for two months and then we'll start the start it afterwards. So there is uh, there's that flexibility as far as scheduling is concerned and because of the stability of the product. And the product is also a little different as far as, you know, when it's when we insert it for the stability, whereas the space OAR is a little bit more rigid. And patients used to complain of, you know, like about sitting on a hockey puck or a golf ball. And within the Barrigel patients, you know, as far as the trial and what we're seeing commercially, and Dan may attest to that after, is that um, I, I don't have these patients complaining about this. So, so, so postoperatively, what, what do you tell the patient that what to expect? You know, I tell them sometimes you can expect to feel a little fullness in the rectum, although I rarely hear that. It's kind of surprising, honestly. I mean, most of them get off the table. I mean, for men, it is a, a kind of an embarrassing position to be in, right? I mean, men in general aren't used to being in stirrups. I always say, you know, women are, are used to, to going through that in their healthcare. Men, when they get to this age, just haven't had pap smears. They're not used to being poked and prodded. You know, men in general just aren't used to that. So probably doing it under local, that's the biggest issue. And that's why we give them sometimes the Valium just to kind of take the edge off because they're you know, they're in a vulnerable position and they're not used to that. And so that's one of the sort of the arts of getting them through that is kind of trying to distract them. But once they're done with it, most of them kind of get up and, and go out the door. And I have yet, you know, fingers crossed, knock on wood, whatever you got to do. I have yet to hear really any significant side effects from them, even after radiation, as far as it relates to the Barrigel. So they've done well. And do you give the antibiotics after the procedure? No, no antibiotics. I think that's one of the things that they're, they're saying about transperineal, no antibiotics. Neil, in your experience, I mean, the immediate post-op, I mean, same thing with space OR versus Barrigel? Yeah, you know, right, immediate post-op, we would really tell the patients the same thing. You know, they can have some mild discomfort. You know, I, I used to give my personal phone number to all the patients that I did with uh, with Barrigel, put it in, and no one has ever called me. So that's a you know, good testament to how this product behaves uh, when it's inserted. Let's let's talk about bad position. I mean, with Barrigel, is that is that a thing? I mean, can you put it in a wrong place that, that will cause harm to the patient? Yeah, so one of the big things is that, you know, about safety, right? You know, when we could be put in the rectal wall, you know, rectal wall infiltration. And we do think that this is underreported, especially in the uh, MOD database showing that uh, there's a significant number of patients uh, that have uh, rectal wall infiltration. In my personal practice and in uh, there's a paper that has been published uh, several papers have been published on rectal wall invasion, that there's about a 40% of the time with space OAR that you can get this rectal wall infiltration. And in the MAUD databases, about 70% of the patients can have this rectal wall infiltration, but we do not know what the denominator is, but those are the ones that have been reported on a voluntary basis. 
So this rectal wall invasion is a very real thing. And I do believe that it is caused by not being able to visualize where you're putting the product and the complexity of you know placing the product compared to the ease that Dan had um, uh, shown. You know, because when you have rectal wall in- infiltration, there is a small but real number of patients that can have you know catastrophic events that occur. You know, such as you know fistula, and then some of these need a colostomy, APR. You know, all these sort of things. And uh, to the and the worst thing would be cystoprostatectomy. You know, but the problem with this, this is a very treatable, curable disease. So why not use a safer product that will give you, that that gives you the least amount of these type of problems? So with Barigel, if you do an infiltration in the erector wall, what do you do? Do you have to do something about it? Do you just pull back and put it in the right place or... So you know, so you're, so you're coming back to the wish list that I wanted, right? From uh, from space OER to Baragel, and this is the only reversible spacer. So you have an enzyme called hyaluronidase, and thankfully I have not used it, and Dan was never going to use it because he's so good. If that comes to a head where there is a significant amount of rectal wall invasion, you could potentially use this enzyme to reverse the placement. You know, if grade three placement is greater than 25% of the rectal circumference, and I think in those patients, you know that there's a greater chance of rectal toxicity. So we did not have any case that I know of in the U.S. We did not have any case in the trial. I And Dan has done, you know, 70 partners have probably done a lot more than that. And all these patients have had MRIs. So you can see if there is a rectal wall invasion and the space OAR does not recommend doing a post-op MRI. So you don't know what you're really getting. For me, I mean, I agree complete with Neil. The reason why also I favor Baragel, and again, I haven't used space OAR, is just the safety profile. I mean, we're taking a patient that can have radiation and hopefully has a very high cure rate in their prostate cancer and might have some rectal toxicity. When when we had Neil working, we had one of the lowest rates of rectal toxicity. And so patients did okay without a space or in a lot of ways. You know, it's not like patients were having major, major complications left and right. Like you said, Jose, with the technology now, it's pretty good. And so for me, if I'm offering an additive safety measure for them to my patient, Am I really doing them any favors if I'm potentially going to lead them to having a fistula or cystoprostatectomy or, I mean, these are the things that keep keep urologists up at night, right? Like really doing something that really hurts the patient. And so Baragel for me has been really good in that I can visualize where the gel is going at all times. I feel really good about what I'm doing with it. There's never any question about where the needle is. There's never any question about where the gel is going. I just know where it's where it's going. And, and the interesting thing also about bear gel is you get tactile feedback. You know, you're kind of pushing the gel in. You might feel a little resistance, back it up a little bit, start putting it in someplace else. And uh, sometimes you're also, you know, in the right spot and you, you kind of push forward and it kind of opens up that, you know, feeling that maybe some scar tissue is gives and it opens. I've told Neil this before, but, you know, my favorite surgery as a resident was an open, simple prostate, you know, where you kind of open up the capsule, Jose, and you put your finger in there and you just break up. Oh, <laughs> Blindly. Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> but you break up all those attachments, you know, and it's just like this, 
I don't know. I mean, call me weird, but just such a, such a good feeling. You're like breaking up all the ad and all <laughs> I, I understand. It, and it's kind of like that in some ways with Baragel, because if you're in the right space, you kind of feel it open. You're feeling in the tactile feedback in the syringe, and you also see the visualization on the screen. I mean, that's what I said. I like it. You know, you see that and you're like, yeah, I, I got it. You know, like <laughs> opens up. So, so that's for me, that was probably the most important thing is just the safety profile of it and the ability to control it and really know that you're, you're doing right by the patient throughout the, the procedure. Let, let me ask a, a quick question to Dan in terms of the ultrasound. I mean, were you doing ultrasound before? prosthetic ultrasound before, or you had to take a, uh, take a course or something? You know, I was doing it before. It definitely is a little different when you're doing it from the transperineal approach. You know, I was doing, when I'm doing transrectal needle biopsies, you know, you're going through the rectum, so it's just a little bit different visualization. But, you know, I think most urologists have experience doing transrectal needle biopsies. Just, you know, it's the nature of our job. It, most residency programs and training. So I didn't, I felt pretty comfortable doing it. I never really felt like I needed to take any additional coursework, but I, I I also was a little spoiled because I had Neil to help me. And, you know, when you have a good mentor, you have a really gracious person that's willing to, to watch and, and help you and obviously makes things so much easier, you know? Yeah. Dan took off the training wheels very, very quickly. So he didn't need me uh, too, too long, you know? I mean, but but the, the whole thing is, you know, you can see how comfortable he's with it and, you know, it does become, you know, a safer product and you don't have to really worry about the rectal wall invasions. You know, just to give you an idea of the numbers, the rectal wall invasion in the space OAR trial was about 6%, whereas it was less than 1% in the Baragel trial. But in real, you know, that's in a very controlled environment, right? But in the real world, you know, there's a paper that was just uh, presented at the AUA showed there was over about a 40% chance of having that rectal a rectal wall invasion. So I do think that this visualization, the comfort level, the you know the short learning curve, all add to the safety you know of the product. So Neil, you mentioned the short learning curve, and definitely we have Dan that is awesome and he's very good. So, but if it was some someone average, what what do you recommend to that urologist? What do they need? Well, you know, I, I never want to think of uh, Dan as average, even though he calls himself a simple guy. But, you know, we have we have trained urologists and radiation oncologists throughout the country, and they seem to have a very, very short learning curve. There is a publication by this guy called Pinkawa with Space OAR, where they had a, they studied about 64 patients and look at the symmetry and the control and the thickness. And it took 32 patients to get to an acceptable symmetry, you know, for for space OAR. Dan did it in the first seven, you know. So, and we've seen this, you know, around the country as well. That uh, operators who have never done brachytherapy, have never been in the perineum, are really quite comfortable very quickly with this procedure. Okay, Dan. I mean, you mentioned the logistics, and definitely you're in a good position. But let's say if, if you are a urologist and and the radonc is not on board about uh, using a, a spacing. What do you recommend? And Neil, I will have your take on that. Yeah, I mean, I think that could be a challenging situation. It's certainly a procedure and product that we use hand in hand with our radiation oncologists. You know, they see the benefit, we see the benefit, we do it together. I think it would be challenging if the radiation oncologist did not want to do the spacing or they felt that it lacked benefit to the patient. But I think all that that really would take is just discussing with the radiation oncologist. I mean, 
Neil and I had a, a wonderful relationship, and so it was very easy. I know in some practices it might be a little more disjointed, where you know you don't hang out with a radiation oncologist, they don't go out and get an old fashioned after work sometimes, so they don't you know necessarily communicate, and and so that could be a challenge. But ultimately, you know, I did it because the radiation oncologists were on board with it. And now I've seen the benefit in what it's done for my patients, you know, three, four, five months after they've completed their therapy. And so now it would be hard for me to be, to have a, a radiation oncologist that didn't want me to do it, but I would just have to have an honest conversation with them and figure out what their concerns are, how it's affecting their ability to deliver care, and, and just try and get on the same page for what's what's the best thing for the patient, you know. Neil, anything to add? Yeah. You know, there's there's uh, there's these early adopters and there's the middle adopters and the late adopters, right? And I think a lot there's a lot of misunderstanding of the new kid on the block and what the benefits are. One of the items is that uh, you know because sometimes in the the there's an advance in the space OAR where they are being able to visualize that, but there has been no randomized trial really looking at that. There seems to be in the visualized product that there could be more rectal wall invasions and more mod database uh, entries because of complications. But there's also more viscous uh, product. I found this thing about radiation oncologists sometimes being hesitant because uh, some of them, I think incorrectly, are, are using the space or view as a fiducial. And I do think that is not a standard practice where the fiducials are what localize the gross tumor volume and the prostate with which we target, and those are stable and they stay stay there. And that's what we target in radiation oncology. I do think it's education. And just when they see the publications coming out of as far as the safety profile, the consistency, the stability and all that, I think that conversation is good to have with your radiation oncologist. I didn't know that we were using the space OR view for that. I have heard some of your eyes that they put the Ayura lift have you heard that then? Yeah, I, I mean, I've done that a couple times for patients that maybe could not have surgery or refused adamantly. I mean, in use the Eurolift as the fiducial markers. I mean, I have done that. It's not standard practice for us, you know, because if they're really having a lot of urinary problems, probably should just have the prostate out, you know. <laughs> but I have, I have done it before on, 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 you know, select cases. Dan and I have shared those patients, and uh, you know, and other urologists have done the same thing when. You know, the IPS score is, you know, just kind of okay, but still you think that the patient is going to have a lot of problems if they go through radiation, you know, GU, you know, toxicity, then the Eurolift does stay pretty stable and we can use that as fiducial. So you don't have to go and put another set of fiducials into the patient. But then that will be the barrier gel. That will be the part that's missing. Correct. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. So Dan, I think we have covered a lot. Any closing remarks, anything else you want to say? I think that if anyone's interested in trying it, I think that it's not very challenging, honestly. I think that it's a procedure that I found to be safe and really beneficial for my patients. And I've honestly, like I said, I enjoy doing it now. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a satisfying procedure to do. I can do it pretty easily in my office without disrupting my flow of care. I've just found it to be, you know, something that's going to stay in my repertoire because it's uh, good for the patient, and uh, I kind of like to do it too. So we'll keep doing it. Great, Neil. 
Yeah, you know, one of the things I think this product is, you know, as far as my, they came through on all my my wish list. Primarily, the safety of the product, you know, is extremely safe. I believe it's also shown that there's over 50 million cases that have been done, you know, because Barigel has been, the NASHA product has been used in cosmetic procedures. It's been used in children, you know, for the last uh, 25 years. And in Barigel, there's about, you know, 5,000 cases that have been done worldwide worldwide and growing. And so that, that safety profile, along with not having the fear of this rectal wall invasion and limiting to just about, you know, nothing is uh, a real a plus for the um, for the patient and outcomes. It's, it's symmetric, you know, because we can we can get a symmetric placement and it's stable. So I think it's uh, there's a lot of lot of good features that uh, Bear Gel has. Excellent. I mean, it's it's always good to talk about something that will make patients safer. So I'm glad that you guys be, were here in back table. Thanks for being here. Hey, Jose, it's great uh, having a discussion with you and uh, Dan. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Jose. Appreciate the time. You know, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at underscore Backtable on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Backtable is hosted by Aditya Bagrodia and Jose Silva. Our audio team is led by Kieran Gannon with support from Josh McWhorter, Aaron Bowles, Nick Shellcross, and Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz with support from Devante Delbrun. Social media and PR by Chi Ding. Administrative support provided by Jimmy Lee Thanks again for listening and see you next week.